0: File Twenty of Farthest North, Volume Two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sharon Riskadal Farthest North by Fridtjof Nansen, Volume Two, Appendix, Chapter Three, August Fifteen to January One, eighteen ninety-six. With the rise in the temperature, the snow surface became daily worse, so that it was seldom fit for snowshoeing. Even with Trugger on, it was most laborious to get along, for the snow was so soft that we sank in up to our knees. Now and then, for an odd day or so, the surface would be fit, even in the month of July, and we took these opportunities of making short excursions for shooting and the like then the surface would be as bad as ever again and one day when i had to go out on the ice to fetch a fulmar which had been wounded the snow was so soft that i constantly sank in up to my waist before i could reach the bird the whole pack of dogs came tearing by got hold of it and killed it one of the dogs seized the bird in his mouth and then there was a wild race between it and the others At last the whole pack turned back towards the lane in the ice again, and I watched my opportunity and snatched the bird from them. I had paid pretty dearly for my booty, all spent and dripping with perspiration as I was from plodding through that bottomless morass of snow. Our chief occupation was still the work at our sledges and kayaks. The sledges, which were all brought on board from the great hummock where they had lain all the winter, were repaired and fitted with runners. By July 16th they were all in good order—eight hand sledges and two dog sledges. The kayaks, upon which we had long been engaged, were finished about the same time. We had now in all five double and one single kayak. Of these I myself made one, the single kayak, which weighed thirty-two pounds." all of them were tested in the channel and proved sound and watertight. Both the kayaks and the sledges were hoisted on the davits, so that they could be let down at a moment's notice in case of need. The petroleum launch, which was of no use to us as it was, but would afford good materials for runners and other things, was brought from the great hummock and taken to pieces, it was built of choice elm and a couple of planks were immediately used for runners to those of the sledges which for lack of material were as yet unprovided with these appliances the medicine chest which had also lain in depot at the great hummock was fetched and stowed away in one of the longboats which had been placed on the pressure ridge hard by the ship THE CONTENTS HAD TAKEN NO HARM, AND NOTHING HAD BURST WITH THE FROST, ALTHOUGH THERE WERE SEVERAL MEDICINES IN THE CHEST WHICH CONTAINED NO MORE THAN TEN PERCENT OF ALCOHOL. AT THAT TIME WE WERE ALSO BUSY SELECTING AND WEIGHING PROVISIONS AND STORES FOR ELEVEN MEN, FOR A SEVENTY DAYS' SLEDGING EXPEDITION, AND A SIX MONTHS' SOJOURN ON THE ICE. THE KINDS OF PROVISIONS AND THEIR WEIGHT WILL BE SEEN FROM THE ACCOMPANYING TABLE. Seventy days sledge provisions for 11 men. Cadbury's chocolate, five boxes of 48 pounds, 240 pounds. Meat chocolate, 25 pounds. Wheaton bread, 16 boxes of 44 pounds, 704 pounds. Danish butter, 12 tins of 28 pounds, 336 pounds. Lime juice tablets, 2 pounds. Fish flour, Professor Vagas, fifty pounds. Viking potatoes, three tins of twenty six pounds, seventy eight pounds. Norse pea soup, five pounds. Norse lentil soup, five pounds. Norse bean soup, five pounds. Bovril, two boxes, one hundred four pounds. Vril food, one box, forty eight pounds. Oatmeal, one box, eighty pounds. Sarin powder, one box, fifty pounds. Aluronic bread, five boxes of 50 pounds, 250 pounds. Pemmican, six boxes, 340 pounds. Pemmican, seven sacks, 592 pounds. Liver, one sack, 102 pounds, total, 3,016 pounds. Besides these, we took salt, pepper, and mustard. Provisions for 11 men during a six month stay on the ice. Roast and boiled beef, 14 tins of 72 pounds, 1008 pounds. Minced collops, three tins of 48 pounds, 144 pounds. Corned beef, three tins of 84 pounds, 252 pounds. Compressed ham, three tins of 84 pounds, 252 pounds. Corned mutton, 17 tins of 6 pounds, 102 pounds. Bread, 37 tins of 50 pounds, 1,850 pounds. Norse soups, various, 2 tins of 56 and one pounds, 113 pounds. Vegetables, white cabbage, julienne, pot herbs, 60 pounds. Flour, sugar, 3 cases of 40 pounds, 120 pounds. Oatmeal, four cases of 80 pounds, 320 pounds. Groats, four cases of 80 pounds, 320 pounds. Cranberry, two cases of 10 pounds, 20 pounds. Margarine, 20 jars of 28 pounds, 560 pounds. Lunch tongue, one case, 20 pounds. Danish butter, two cases, 336 pounds. Steering candles, five cases, 200 pounds. Preserved fish, one tin, 22 pounds. Macaroni, one case, 50 pounds. Viking potatoes, four cases, 208 pounds. Vagus fish flour, two cases, 200 pounds. Frame food jelly, one jar, 190 pounds. Marmalade jelly, one jar, 54 pounds. Lime juice jelly, one jar, 54 pounds. Cadbury's chocolate, three cases, 144 pounds. Lactose sarin cocoa, one case, 18 pounds. Milk, 10 cases of 48 tins, 480 pounds. Tea, one case, 20 pounds. English pemmican, 13 cases, 756 pounds. Danish pemmican, one case, 68 pounds. Dried liver patties, three cases, two hundred four pounds. Vril food, five cases, two hundred eight pounds. Besides these, two tins of salt, one tin of mustard, and one tin of pepper. When all the stores were ready and packed, they were provisionally stowed at certain fixed points on deck under the awning forward. I did not want them taken out on the ice until later in the year or until circumstances rendered it necessary we had still abundance of coal about one hundred tons i considered that twenty tons would be about enough for six months consumption on the ice with that quantity therefore we filled butts casks and sacks and took it out on the ice together with fourteen hundred pounds of tinned potatoes about forty-five gallons of petroleum about eighty gallons of gas-oil and about thirty-four gallons of coal-oil as the ship was still deeply laden i wished to lighten her as much as possible if only it could be managed without exposing to risk any of the stores which had to be unloaded after the windmill was worn out and taken away we had of course no use for the battery and dynamo so we took the whole concern to pieces and packed it up with lamps globes and everything belonging to it the same was done with a petroleum motor the horse-mill was also taken down and put out on the ice with a lot of heavy materials one long-boat had been put out earlier and now we took the other down from the davits and took it up to the great hummock but as the hummock shortly afterwards drifted a good way off from us the boat with everything else that lay there was brought back again and placed upon the great ice floe to which we were moored our estate as we used to call it on top of the davits and right aft to the half-deck we ran a platform of planks on which the sledges kayaks and other things were to be laid up in the winter on july twenty second we continued our deep-sea soundings taking two on that day The first to thirteen hundred fifty four fathoms twenty five hundred meters, and the second to sixteen hundred twenty five fathoms three thousand meters without touching bottom either time. In order to make sure that the lead should sink, we lowered away the line very slowly, so that it took two hours and a quarter to reach a depth of three thousand meters on the twenty third we again took two soundings one of eighteen hundred forty fathoms thirty four hundred metres without finding bottom and then one in which we found bottom at two thousand fifty six fathoms thirty eight hundred metres it took two hours and a half to lower the lead to the latter depth finally on june twenty fourth we again took a sounding of thirty six hundred metres without finding bottom and therefore concluded the depth to be from thirty-seven to thirty-eight hundred meters. On July 7th, the doctor rode out in the pram in search of algae, but came back empty-handed. There were remarkably few algae to be found this summer, nor did there seem to be so much animal life in the water as there had been the year before. For a few days after she got loose, the Fram lay in a very good position in the pool, but during the night of august fourteenth a high block of ice came floating down the lane which had now widened a little and jammed itself between the ship's side and the farther edge of the pool which it thus entirely blocked as we did not like having this uncomfortable and dangerous colossus close at our side in case we should remain at the same spot throughout the autumn and winter we determined to blast it away scott hansen and Nordahl at once took this in hand and accomplished the task after several days labor on saturday afternoon august 17th a pretty strong ice pressure suddenly set in around us in the course of a few minutes the Fram was lifted 22 inches by the stern and 14 inches by the bow in stately fashion with no noise and without heeling over in the least the heavy vessel was swiftly and lightly raised, as if she had been a feather, a spectacle at once impressive and reassuring. The next day the ice slackened a little again, and the ship was once more afloat. So it lay quietly until the morning of the 21st, when another strong pressure began— The ship now lay in a very awkward position, with a high hummock on each side, which gripped her amidships for a space of about nine yards, and screwed her up six or eight inches. But the pressure ended in half an hour or so, and the Fram sank again to her former berth. When there were symptoms of pressure, we always tried to warp the ship as far away as possible from the threatening point, and occasionally we succeeded but during the stormy weather with southerly winds which prevailed at this time it was often quite impossible to get her to budge for she offered a great surface to the wind with her heavy rigging and the high awning forward our united forces were often unable to move her an inch and ice anchors moorings and warping cables were perpetually breaking at last on august twenty second We succeeded in warping the ship along a bit, so that we might hope to escape pressure if the ice should again begin to pinch. As the ice soon after slackened a good deal and became more broken than before, we some days later made another attempt to haul her a little farther, but had soon to give it up. There was not enough space between the two great floes on either hand of us. We now lay at the same spot until September second, with half a gale blowing continually from the southwest, and with heavy rain now and then. On the evening of August thirtieth, for instance, we had a violent rainstorm, which loosened the ice coating of the rigging and made a frightful racket as it brought the pieces of ice clattering down upon the deck, the deck house, and the awning. Our estate was very thoroughly ploughed, harrowed, and drained at this time by wind, rain, pressure, and other such doughty laborers. Then came the tiresome business of moving the things out from the ship, which involved the cutting up and parceling out of almost the whole estate, so that what was left open to us was scanty and cramped enough. Thus reduced, the estate now formed an approximately oblong flow with its greatest length from east to west and surrounded on all sides by more or less open rifts and lanes the fram lay moored to the north side close to the northeast point with her bow heading west Immediately astern of her, and separated from the point only by a narrow lane, lay a large floe upon which was stowed, among other things, a part of our provision of coal. Far off to the westward, the great hummock still lay drifting. While the other sides of the estate were pretty nearly straight, the east side formed a concave arc or bay, which offered an excellent winter berth for the Fram. "'but there was no possibility of getting the ship into it "'so long as the channel between the estate and the floe to eastward remained closed. "'Late in the afternoon of September 2nd, "'the ice at last slackened so much that we could make an attempt. "'By the help of our tackle, "'we managed to get her warped a ship's length eastward, "'but it was impossible for the moment to get her any farther, "'as the new ice was already pretty thick.' the night temperature was minus five degrees centigrade and also a good deal packed nor was it any use to bring the ice saw into play and cut a channel for the slush was so deep that we could not shove the fragments aside or under each other the next day began with half a gale from the southeast and rain but at six o'clock the wind moderated and veered to the south and at eight o'clock the ice around the lane began to slacken a good deal as there was now more room, we made good progress with cutting our way through the new ice, and before midday we had got the Fram hauled into the bay and moored in the winter harbor, which we all hoped might prove her last. When Nansen and Johansen set out, they left seven dogs behind, the bitch Susie and the six youngest puppies, Cobbin, Snodden, Bella, Squint, Axel, and Boris on april twenty-fifth susie gave birth to twelve puppies we had made a cosy little kennel for her on deck lining it with reindeer skin Petterson came down in the morning and told us that susie was running round whining and howling mogstad and i went up and shut her into the kennel where she at once gave birth to a puppy when the afternoon came and we saw that more and more citizens were being added to our community we feared that the mother would not be able to warm all her litter and consequently removed the whole family into the saloon all the puppies were large and handsome most of them quite white and looking as though they would turn out regular little bealkir as the samoyeds call all-white dogs they grew and throve excellently as saloon passengers and were petted and spoiled by everyone they made their home in the saloon for a month "'and then we transferred them to the above-mentioned kennel on deck. "'After they had been up there for some weeks, "'it appeared as though they had suddenly stopped growing, "'although they were constantly well-fed with raw bear's flesh, "'milk, and the broken meat from our table. "'About the second week of August, two of the puppies died of convulsions. "'The doctor managed to save a third "'by means of warm baths and careful nursing.' At the end of the month another of them was seized with convulsions and died, although it too was treated with warm baths and comfortably housed, first in the saloon and afterwards in the workroom. In the beginning of September, when the frequent rain made things very moist and uncomfortable in the kennel and on deck, we built a kennel out on the ice with a tarpaulin roof and a floor of planks, with plenty of shavings spread over them. While it was being built, we let the whole pack of dogs out upon the ice, but after playing for half an hour, the puppies, one after another, began to have convulsions. The attacks passed quickly over, however. We drenched them with soap and water, and then settled them in their new abode. As the puppies grew older, we had to keep a sharp watch upon them when we let them out upon the ice they romped and gambled with such ungovernable glee that it often happened that one or other of them plumped into the water and had to be laboriously fished out again by the master of the hounds for the time being or whoever else happened to be at hand. Moreover, they soon acquired a taste for longer excursions and followed our tracks far over the ice. One day the doctor and I were out photographing, At a considerable distance from the ship, we came upon a large pool of fresh water and took a little rest upon its inviting, mirror-like ice. While we lay there chatting at our ease, we saw Cobbin coming after us. As soon as he caught sight of us, he stopped and stood wondering what strange creatures we could be. Then we began to creep on all fours towards him, and the moment we did so cobbin found his legs to some purpose he set off homeward as though he were running for dear life and even when we got back to the ship and several other puppies met us and knew us the poor creature was still so panic-stricken that it was a good while before he ventured to come near us on september 28th we again lost one of the puppies it was seized with convulsions and lay whining and howling all day as the evening advanced and it became paralyzed along one side there was no hope of saving it so we put an end to its misery it was pitiful to see how these pretty little creatures suffered when the convulsions came upon them on october ninth squint gave birth to puppies but as so young an animal could not have brought them up especially in such a cold season we allowed her to keep only one of them as an experiment the others were at once killed. A week later, Susie produced a second litter: two he-dogs and nine she-dogs. We let her keep the two males and one of the females. It proved inadvisable to have both the mothers with their families in the same kennel. If one of the mothers went out for a moment, the other at once took all the puppies into her keeping, and then there was a battle royal when the first one returned and wanted to reclaim her property something of this sort had no doubt occurred one night in the case of squint whom henriksen found in the morning lying at the door of the kennel frozen so fast to the ice that it cost us a good deal of trouble to get her loose again she must have had anything but a pleasant night the thermometer had been down to minus thirty three degrees centigrade minus twenty seven point four degrees fahrenheit AND HER TAIL WAS FROZEN FAST TO ONE OF HER HIND LEGS, SO THAT WE HAD TO TAKE HER DOWN INTO THE SALOON TO GET HER THAWED. TO OBVIATE SUCH MISADVENTURES FOR THE FUTURE, I HAD A DETACHED VILLA BUILT FOR HER, WHERE SHE COULD BE AT PEACE WITH HER CHILD. ONE EVENING, WHEN MOGSTED WAS HOUSING THE PUPPIES FOR THE NIGHT, TWO OF THEM WERE MISSING. HENRIKSEN AND I AT ONCE SET OFF WITH LANTERNS AND GUNS TO HUNT FOR THEM. We thought that there had been a bear in the neighborhood, as we had heard a great deal of barking earlier in the day, out upon the ice to the east of the ship, but we could find no tracks. After supper we set out again, five of us, all carrying lanterns. After an hour's search along the lanes and up in the presser ridges, we at last found the puppies on the other side of a new lane, Although the new ice on the lane was strong enough to bear them, they were so terrified after having been in the water that they dared not come over to us, and we had to make a long detour to get hold of them. In the middle of December we took the youngest puppies on board, as they had now grown so big and ran away if they were not very closely watched. The gangway was left open at night, so that the mothers could come into them from the ice whenever they wanted to. In respect to temper, there was a great difference between the generation of dogs we had originally taken on board and those we now had. While the former were great fighters, perpetually at feud with each other, and often to the death, the latter were exceedingly quiet and well-behaved, although wild and fierce enough when it came to chasing a bear. Now and then there would be a little squabble among them, but this was rare. Axel was the worst of them, Shortly before Christmas he all of a sudden made a fierce attack upon the unoffending Cobbin against whom he bore a grudge, but he got the rope's end for supper several times, and that improved his manners amazingly. During the first half of September the weather was very unsettled, with prevailing westerly and southwesterly winds, a good deal of rain and snow, especially rain and frequent disturbance in the ice. The frost at night, which sometimes reached ten degrees or eleven degrees, soon made the new ice strong enough to bear a man, except just at the stern of the ship, where all the slops were thrown out. Here the ice was much broken up, and formed a thick slush, the surface of which was frozen over, but so thinly that it would not bear much weight. Thus it happened one day that three men got a-ducking, one after another, at the same treacherous spot. THE FIRST WAS PETTERSON. HE HAD TO GO ROUND THE STERN TO LOOK TO THE LOG-LINE WHICH HUNG FROM THE SHIP'S SIDE TO PORT, BUT BEFORE HE GOT SO FAR, DOWN HE WENT THROUGH THE ICE. SHORTLY AFTER, THE SAME THING HAPPENED TO Nordahl, AND HALF AN HOUR LATER, IT WAS BENSON'S TURN TO PLUMP IN. HE PLUNGED RIGHT UP TO HIS NECK, BUT AT ONCE BOBBED UP AGAIN LIKE A CORK, AND SCRAMBLED GALLANTLY UP ONTO THE EDGE OF THE ICE WITHOUT A MOMENT'S DELAY. The observation of the log line had to be postponed while a grand changing and drying of clothes took place on board. On September fifteenth, the ice slackened so much that there was quite a little sea between us and the great hummock. The following day, the ice was still so much disturbed that we had to think seriously of fetching back the things which still lay there. About midday I took a walk over towards the hummock to find out a suitable transport path and discovered an excellent one, but some hours later, when I set off with men and sledges to fetch back the things, so many lanes had opened around the estate that we had to give up the attempt for that day. During the whole of September and well on in October there was almost incessant disturbance in the ice. NEW LANES OPENED ON ALL SIDES, SOME CLOSE TO THE SHIP, AND THERE WERE FREQUENT PRESSURES. THE WINTER HARBOR WE HAD FOUND PROVED AN EXCELLENT ONE. THERE WAS VERY LITTLE DISTURBANCE IN THE BAY WHERE THE FRAM WAS moored, THANKS TO THE NEW ICE WE HERE HAD AROUND US, OF WHICH THE PRESSURE WAS QUITE INCONSIDERABLE. IT WAS QUICKLY BROKEN UP, AND THE FRAGMENTS FORCED OVER OR UNDER EACH OTHER, WHILE THE TWO SOLID POINTS OF THE BAY BORE THE BRUNT OF THE ATTACKS. Once or twice it seemed as though the Fram would be afloat again before the winter finally chained her in its icy fetters. On October 25th, for instance, it slackened so much in the lane nearest us that the ship lay free from the stern right to the forechains, but soon the ice packed together again so that she was once more frozen quite fast. The hardest pressure occurred on October 26th and 27th, but the ship was not very severely attacked. Pressure, however, is more unpleasant in winter, on account of the deafening noise it makes when the ice is hurled against the ship's side. It was quite different in summer, when the ice is more tough and elastic, and the pressure goes on calmly and quietly. After November 1st a more peaceful period set in. The pressures almost entirely ceased. The cold increased. The wind remained easterly, and we drifted at a steady rate northward and westward for the rest of the year. During the autumn the drift had put our patience to a severe test. Owing to the prevailing westerly winds, it bore steadily eastward, and day after day we looked in vain for a change. The only thing that kept our spirits up was the knowledge that if we were going backward it was slowly sometimes very slowly indeed even several days of westerly wind did not take us so far to the east but that a day or two of favorable wind would enable us to make up what we had lost with something to boot september twenty second was the second anniversary of our being frozen in and the event was celebrated with a little festivity in the evening we had reason to be satisfied with the second year's drift since we had advanced nearly double as far as during the first year and if this continued there could scarcely be any doubt that we should get clear of the ice in the autumn of eighteen ninety six as will be seen from the following table september twenty second also brought us a marked change for the better on that day the winter drift set in for good and lasted without intermission through the remainder of the year, so that between that day and the second week in January, we drifted from 82 degrees, five minutes to 41 degrees, 41 minutes, east longitude. Date, latitude, longitude, direction of wind. September 6th, 1895, 84 degrees, 43 minutes, Seventy nine degrees fifty two minutes southwest. September eleventh, eighteen ninety five, eighty four degrees fifty nine minutes, seventy eight degrees fifteen minutes east. September twenty second, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees two minutes, eighty two degrees five minutes calm. October ninth, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees four minutes, seventy nine degrees thirty minutes. East. October nineteenth, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees forty five minutes, seventy eight degrees twenty one minutes east to north. October twenty fifth, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees forty six minutes, seventy three degrees twenty five minutes northeast. October thirtieth, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees forty six minutes, seventy degrees fifty minutes north northwest. November 8th, 1895, 85 degrees 41 minutes, 65 degrees 2 minutes east. November 15th, 1895, 85 degrees 55.5 5 minutes, 66 degrees 31 minutes east northeast. November 25th, 1895, 85 degrees 47.5 minutes, 62 degrees 56 minutes Northeast to north. December first, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees twenty eight minutes, fifty eight degrees forty five minutes east. December seventh, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees twenty six minutes, fifty four degrees forty minutes northeast. December fourteenth, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees twenty four minutes, fifty degrees two minutes calm. December twenty first, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees fifteen minutes, forty seven degrees fifty six minutes northeast. December twenty eighth, eighteen ninety five, eighty five degrees twenty four minutes, forty eight degrees twenty two minutes northwest. January ninth, eighteen ninety six, eighty four degrees fifty seven minutes, forty one degrees forty one minutes north. On October 11th, we hauled up the log line and cut a new hole for it in the ice right astern. Hitherto, the log had had only 100 meters, 54 fathoms of line. Now we gave it 300 meters, 162 fathoms. After the middle of September, the cold steadily increased, as the following observations will show. Date, minimum temperature. September 18th, minus 12.5 degrees centigrade, plus 9.6 degrees Fahrenheit. September 26th, minus 24 degrees centigrade, minus 11.2 degrees Fahrenheit. October 19th, minus 30 degrees centigrade, minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit. November 5th, minus 32.2 degrees centigrade, minus 25.8 degrees Fahrenheit. November 9th, minus 38.3 degrees centigrade, minus 36.8 degrees Fahrenheit. November 22nd, minus 43.6 degrees centigrade, minus 46.4 degrees Fahrenheit. December 31st, minus 44.6 degrees centigrade, minus 48.2 degrees Fahrenheit. The weather was, as a rule, fine during the last three months of 1895, with clear air and light breezes. Only now and then, for example, on October twenty-ninth and November 11th, 26th, and 27th, the wind freshened to half a gale with a velocity of as much as 48 feet per second. In the beginning of September we found that the Fram was drawing more and more water, so that we had a stiff job every day to pump and bale her empty. But from the 23rd onward the leakage steadily declined, and about the second week of October the engine room was quite watertight. It still leaked a little, however, in the main hold, but soon the leak ceased here also, the water having frozen in the ship's side." For the rest, we employed our time in all sorts of work about the ship, cutting up and removing ice in the hold, cleaning, putting things in order, etc. Not until September 23 did the state of the ice permit us to carry out our intention of fetching back the things from the great hummock. The surface was that day excellent for sledges with German silver runners. Wooden runners, on the other hand, went rather heavily. WE HAD ALSO DONE SOME ROAD MAKING HERE AND THERE, SO THAT THE CONVEYANCE OF THE GOODS WENT ON EASILY AND RAPIDLY. WE BROUGHT BACK TO THE SHIP, IN ALL, THIRTY-SIX BOXES OF DOG BISCUITS AND FOUR BARRELS OF PETROLEUM. NEXT DAY WE BROUGHT ALL THAT WAS LEFT AND STACKED IT ON THE ICE, CLOSE TO THE SHIP. ON SEPTEMBER 16TH, SCOTT HANSEN AND NORDAL SET ABOUT PREPARATIONS FOR BUILDING A PROPER HOUSE FOR THEIR MAGNETIC OBSERVATIONS. Their building material consisted of great blocks of new ice, which they piled upon sledges and drove with the aid of the dogs to the site they had chosen. Except for one or two trial trips, which Scott Hansen had previously made with the dogs, this was the first time they had been employed as draft animals. They drew well, and the carting went excellently the house was built entirely of hewn blocks of ice which were ranged above each other with an inward slant so that when finished it formed a compact circular dome of ice in form and appearance not unlike a fin tent a covered passage of ice led into the house with a wooden flap for a door when this observatory was finished Scott Hansen gave a housewarming the hut being magnificently decorated for the occasion it was furnished with a sofa and with armchairs covered with bear and reindeer skins the pedestal in the middle of the floor on which the magnetic instruments were to be established was covered with a flag and an ice floe served as a table on the table stood a lamp with a red shade and along the walls were fixed a number of red paper lanterns THE EFFECT WAS QUITE FESTAL, AND WE ALL SAT ROUND THE ROOM IN THE HIGHEST OF SPIRITS. OUR AMIable HOST ADDRESSED LITTLE HUMOROUS SPEECHES TO EVERY ONE. PETTERSON EXPRESSED THE WISH THAT THIS MIGHT BE THE LAST ICE HUT SCOTT HANSEN SHOULD BUILD ON THIS TRIP, AND THAT WE MIGHT ALL BE HOME AGAIN THIS TIME NEXT AUTUMN, AND NONE THE WORSE FOR IT ALL. PETTERSON'S ARTLESS LITTLE ADDRESS WAS RECEIVED WITH FRANTIC ENTHUSIASM. For the rest, Pedersen had just about this time entered upon a new office, having from September 10th onward undertaken the whole charge of Ewell's former domain, the galley, a department to which he gave his whole heart, and in which his performances denoted entire satisfaction to everyone. The only branch of the culinary art with which he would have nothing to do was the baking of Christmas cakes this ewell himself had to attend to when the time came when winter set in we built ourselves a new smithy in the place of the one which drifted off on july twenty seventh it was constructed on the pressure ridge where the boats and part of the stores from the great hummock had been placed its plan was very much like that of the former smithy we first hollowed out a cavity of sufficient size in the pressure ridge and then roofed it over with blocks of ice and snow as the year waned and the winter night impended all the sea animals and birds of passage which had swarmed around us and awakened our longings during the short summer deserted us one by one they set off for the south toward sunshine and light and hospitable shores while we lay there in the ice and darkness for yet another winter on september sixth we saw the last gnarles gambling in the lanes around the ship and a few days later the last flock of squaws lester's parasiticus took their departure the sun moves quickly in these latitudes from the first day that he peers over the horizon in the south till he circles round the heavens all day and all night BUT STILL QUICKER DO HIS MOVEMENTS SEEM WHEN HE IS ON THE DOWNWARD PATH IN AUTUMN. BEFORE YOU KNOW WHERE YOU ARE, HE HAS DISAPPEARED, AND THE CRUSHING DARKNESS OF THE ARCTIC NIGHT SURROUNDS YOU ONCE MORE. ON SEPTEMBER 12TH WE SHOULD HAVE SEEN THE MIDNIGHT SUN FOR THE LAST TIME, IF IT HAD BEEN CLEAR, AND NO LATER THAN OCTOBER 8TH WE CAUGHT THE LAST GLIMPSE OF THE SUN'S RIM AT MIDDAY thus we plunged into the longest arctic night any human beings have yet lived through in about eighty five degrees north latitude henceforth there was nothing that could for a moment be called daylight and by october twenty sixth there was scarcely any perceptible difference between day and night whenever time permitted and the surface was at all favorable we wandered about on snowshoes in the neighborhood of the ship either singly or several together on october seventh when all of us were out snowshoeing in the morning the mate found a log of driftwood seven feet long and seven inches thick part of the root was still attached to the trunk the mate and i went out in the afternoon and brought it in on a hand sledge no doubt it had grown in one of the siberian forests had been swept away by a flood or by the current of a river and carried out to sea to be conveyed hither by the drift-ice besides snowshoeing we also took frequent walks on the ice and on november twentieth i gave orders that every man should take two hours exercise a day in the fresh air i myself was very fond of these walks which freshened up both soul and body and i often wandered backward and forward on the ice four or five hours a day as a rule two hours in the morning and two in the afternoon on october eighth scott hansen and mogstad made an experiment in dragging sledges with two hundred thirty pounds of freight they started at half past nine and returned at five in the afternoon after having been about four miles from the ship and traversed pretty heavy country we did not believe indeed that the fram ran the slightest risk of being crushed in any ice pressure but it was obviously possible, or at least conceivable, so that it was our duty to be prepared for all contingencies. Accordingly, we devoted much labor and care to securing ourselves against being taken by surprise. At the end of October, we established a new depot on the ice, consisting of provisions for six months, with a full equipment of sledges, kayaks, snowshoes, etc., The provisions were divided into five different piles and stacked so that the boxes in each pile formed an arch. Thus stored, not more than two cases could well be lost even if the worst happened and the ice split upright under the heap. The provisions consisted partly of pemmican, as may be seen by the list quoted, a very nutritious article of diet which makes an excellent sort of Irish stew, lobscow. With two hundred grams of pemmican, 100 grams of bread, and 120 grams of potatoes, you can make a very satisfying and palatable dish. On November 28th we passed the 60th degree of longitude and celebrated the occasion by a little feast. The saloon was decorated with flags, and a rather more sumptuous dinner than usual was served with coffee after it, while supper was followed by a dessert of fruits and preserves. This meridian passes near Cape Fligely in Franz Josef land and through Kabarova, where we two years ago had bidden farewell to the last faint traces of civilization. So it seemed as though we really felt ourselves nearer the world and life. End of file 20